today we're finishing our series uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And we're coming to an end in chapter 12. So if you have a Bible with you, um, want to take your Bible out and, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a Bible in the rack in the chair right in front of you. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, you open the, book, the Bible about halfway, you should encounter the book of Psalms. Uh, and then go a few pages. There's 150 Psalms, so there's quite a few of them. And then you'll get the book of Proverbs and then the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're in the very last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. By way of review, Ecclesiastes is Solomon, uh, the, the uh, king of Israel. Uh, he calls himself Koholath, or teacher, or preacher in this book. He has, he has brought together a tremendous amount of human wisdom and shown its insufficiency in the face of reality. He has, he has really explored it and said, this doesn't fit, it doesn't work, there's something more. There's a divine thing that is happening beyond this. And now Solomon has, has come up over a crescendo of depression and frustration. And uh, let's see how well any of you remember What was his last lash out? Who does he lash out against? Women. And he gets to his end and he goes, and it's all women's fault. And of course we know that that's not true. It's only 46% women, uh, 31% men, and the rest is kids. Um, But uh, we we look at it and we say, "Ah, what is he going? And he's lashing out. He comes up over that crescendo, that kind of depression. And now he is coming toward... uh, starting to push us toward a, a, a true relationship with God. And in Revelation, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is kind of his last moment. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, and uh, we're going to begin there. And, and I, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to apologize. I lost my preaching Bible. So if anybody knows where, if anybody's seen a little red NIV um, thin line Bible with the sermon notes in it. It's got a little rubber band on it like this. That would be mine. Most people don't bring their own sermon notes to church. I do. Um, but, uh, but if you see that, if you could find it and get it back to me, I at first thought maybe Peter had stolen it just to, just to get me. It's probably going to appear on my desk. I don't know. But, um, but if you see that Bible, I'd appreciate it. So I apologize. What I'm about to read, it, it, it may be a little bit different from the, what's in the pew Bibles. Okay. Um, but Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Let's go ahead and just pray real quick and center our thoughts. Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for its truth and its reality, its harshness and its sweetness, its challenges and its comforts. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon says simply, remember your Creator. Now, what's going to come in the following verses is a very, very um, melancholy portrayal of old age. Very poetic. But look at, look at how he, he talks. He says, Uh, Remember your Creator in the days of youth before the evil days come. Those are the days of being old. Now I know none of us here are old. So we don't have to worry. We have all this to look forward to. But see if this fits with kind of your experience 
of aging. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. You all notice how days seem to move so much faster the older we get. And suddenly our kids have kids. Mine don't, but um, your kids have kids. And before too long you're a grandparent and the eyes start to go. And, uh, and you sit there and go, man, I, I still feel like... How many of you still think you're 18? And you every once in a while are reminded that that's not the case, right? So he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, kind of a poetic image of the things that keep us upright. You notice it gets a little harder to stand straight the older you get. It gets a little harder to kind of move forward. Suddenly you can't run as fast, can't talk as fast, can't move as fast. The grinders cease because they are few. Now, i I got to tell you guys, this is a story from my dad. My dad teaching me this passage when I was a teenager. My dad is missing one of his front teeth. Got kicked out by a horse when he was a kid. Um, and he has a um, he has a false tooth and a plate. And one of his favorite things to do to freak children out is he can get that plate to move. And so he'll smile at a kid and his tooth is bouncing up and down. Now, this is a sure sign that I grew up in farm country that your father actually would think of doing something like that. Um, but uh, we used to have hoedowns. We actually did have hoedowns in church. And uh, he would take the tooth out and put a pair of overalls on. It wasn't pretty. Um, but uh, he, he said to me, he said, what do you see? And I remember being a teenager and, and going through the book of Ecclesiastes with him. And he said, what do you see here? And I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, you know, the grinders, you know, guys, the grinding mill, grinding grain. He goes, no, I want you to think about it. He said, what do you use to grind things? I said, well, I use my molars. I use my teeth. He goes, well, what happens when you get old? Your teeth start falling out. He goes, when the grinders are few. And then he did the tooth thing. It was weird. All right, but that image is forever burned in my mind. So when you when I encounter that passage, and now it'll be just if you don't know my dad, just imagine me a little heavier, less hair, no no goatee. That's my dad with a tooth bouncing, and you'll you'll never forget that passage. But he says, when the grinders are few, the grinders cease because they are few. You can't eat anymore. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyes are fading. The doors on the street are shut. Uh, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. You notice you get older, you tend to sleep a little lighter. Something makes a noise and you're awake. All the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. That's, that's actually one of the last trees to blossom in ancient Israel. So that's kind of toward the end of the year. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. I, I just love that phrase. I have no idea what it means, but the grasshopper is dragging himself along. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. The, 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 the Hebrew here, it's, it's kind of ambiguous, but it may mean long home, like the place he's going to go and he's not coming back. And uh, his eternal home, the mourners go about the streets. And one of the most beautiful passages about death is his imagery before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl was broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern 
and the dust returns to the earth as it was. Now, each one of these is a different ancient metaphor used in the different cultures that, that Solomon would have borrowed from in, in creating this, this anthology of human wisdom. It's a different metaphor for death. In, in, in Assyria and later in Greece, they would say that, that basically your life is a, a thread. And when that thread gets stretched out, there's like a deity, the names change, that snip it and you die. The silver cord is broken. Um, the golden or this is, is broken. The, the golden bowl is shattered or, or, or broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. It's, it's broken. It's no use. The body is used. The wheel is broken at the cistern. And of course, the picture that appears in Genesis, um, in Genesis chapter 3, God says to man, from dust you came to dust you will return. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness. All is empty. And one of the interesting things about the book of Ecclesiastes, if you go back over the whole book, all 12 chapters, is there is absolutely no reference of violent death or premature death. It is all about dying when you're old, dying of old age. And it seems to be a pretty good clue that Solomon was actually in his, his finer years when he wrote this book. That he had reached old age, he had experienced all these things, he had lived a, a, a life, and now he's looking at it, waiting for the day when things break and fall down. His body is not what it was, his mind is not what it was, his eyes are not what it was. He's looking out and he sees the almond trees blossoming, it's coming toward the end of the season of life. And he says to grow old, and this is what you've got to watch what he says in verse 8, where he says vanity of vanity. He says to grow old, having not lived my life in harmony with the Creator, is vanity. All is vanity. He says, if I had it to take back, if I could rewind the pages of time and go back to my youth, I would remember then my Creator and I would change the way I lived my life. In many ways, it's kind of remorseful. It's kind of sad. He says, I, I, I wish that I had continued in my youth. I had gone through this. Now, by the way, in Hebrew, youth means not old. So, since none of us feel old, and we all think we're 18, it includes us. Okay? So, it includes all of us. He says, I wish that I had done it before the evil days came, before the years drew near, and I had no more pleasure. There was, there was no way to, re to take back what I had lived. I wish I had remembered. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And different translations take this different ways, but this is really the essence of what it says. He has brought all of this together very carefully, which means that's why we have to read it very carefully. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. Let me ask you something. What, 
is there anything pleasurable about being hit with a nail? I mean, do it, all of us go, you know what I think I'm going to do today? I think I'm going to have somebody hit me with a nail. I mean, what have any of you ever stepped on a nail? Pleasant, right? It's awesome, right? I mean, you're working, you're doing something, you step on a board, there's that moment of paralysis as you look at your leg, you look at your foot and go, I'm an idiot. And then you start screaming like a little girl because you've just put a nail through your foot. Um, this, but it's not a good thing. It's not a pleasant thing at all. And, and the image, the goad, the idea of a goad was it's a stick literally with nails on it. And the idea was if oxen were not moving along at a speed you liked them to move, you hit them with the stick. And suddenly the oxen were greatly motivated to get where the nails were not. This is what Solomon says his wisdom's function is. It is to goad us. It is to be that pain that shocks us and go. And we go, oh, I need to move forward. And Solomon says, look, if this book teaches you one thing, if it gets one thing through your thick human skull, and we all have them, it is this. Remember your Creator before it's too late. Reorganize your life around God. And not just God in some ethereal concept out there, but as the creator, as the maker, as the molder of who you are. Remember Him. My son, beware of anything beyond these. One of the very first verses I ever was made to memorize as a kid is this next line. Of the making of books there is no end. And of much study, much study is the weariness of of the flesh. Mankind will always generate new wisdom and new ideas and new concepts and all these things. But Solomon said it at the beginning and he continues to say it all through that there is nothing new under the sun. Every new idea has been thought of before and ultimately it is all just emptiness and chasing the wind. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. So remember your Creator. Go back to the beginning. The end of the matter in verse 13. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He's almost right. We read that and we go, yes, that's exactly right. That's absolutely true. Fear God, honor His commitments. God will judge all things according to... Look at what he says. He says, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That God is going to judge good and evil. He is going to judge it according to the merits of whether it is good or evil. Did you do good or did you do evil? Is that the way it works? Do we get judged based entirely on the good or evil that we do? Does God sit there with a scale and go, 
Like the ancient Egyptians, they had this thing called ma'at, the balance of good and evil. And they would look at the scale. There was a, you see in the book of the dead, there's this great god. It's got like a head of an ibis. Uh, It's like a long-necked bird. Imagine a guy with a goose head on him, like a gooseneck and a head. And he's weighing the scales, the scales of ma'at. And he puts a heart on one side, the heart of the dead person on one side. And he's got kind of a standard measurement. And if the the heart is is lighter than the standard measurement, then you get to go into the, the world of the the world of the living, the next world. And if it's if it goes the other way, you get thrown to the crocodiles. Um, and and is, is that what he's saying? He's saying, I mean, basically that is what's being said, being judged according to good or evil. But according to the scriptures, that's not actually how it works. You see, the the uh, Solomon um, is more or less leaving us with the culmination of human wisdom and leaves it for us to make a choice. You know, the greatest teachers in the world, the best teachers in the world, are the ones that don't give you the answers. If you look back and you think back about the best teachers you had in school, they were not the ones who sat there with the answer sheet and said, okay, the answer to question number four is going to be this. The answer to question number five is going to be this. Please take the test and pass so that the GPA is high. Have you ever have a professor like that? I had several that, that said, just, just, just finish the test. I don't really care about you people. I don't care whether you develop as individuals. All I care is that you have a passing grade so I don't have to put up with your mug again. I don't like those teachers. I never did. I liked the teachers who would teach and present all this information and then walk out of the room. And we'd all sit there going, but what's the answer to the test? And you go, well, you're just going to have to figure that out yourself. You have to come up with the answers yourself. You're going to have to interpret that yourself. Those those are the guys that that you love to learn from because they have an answer. And they're so comfortable with it and they're so confident that it's the right answer that they don't need to tell you it's the right answer. You know, that's one of the fascinating things about our God is that He is so confident about the answer that He has that he doesn't need to spoon-feed it to you. He doesn't need to say, write it over everything and anything and say, you must follow these rules. You must operate this way. You must do this. You must be this way. But rather, he presents to us an, a, 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 a way of life in Jesus. He presents to us a way of life that is very open-ended. Think about it. Jesus, at the height of his ministry, at the absolute crescendo of his ministry, throws this massive mystery out. If you haven't encountered this in reading the gospel, I highly encourage you to go ahead and read one of the gospels. All four of them would be great, but there's this moment when Jesus has all these followers, people coming all over the place. They are, they are just falling on over each other to see Jesus. And so then Jesus stands up and he says, except you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will not be a part of the kingdom of God. And the scriptures say on that day, many left him. Because they all went, what? What are you now, a few of them, if you read the passage, a few of them ask him greater questions. They, they follow him. They continue. They're gonna, we're going to figure this out. We're going to understand this. Great teachers do this. 
Will we be judged according to good and evil? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, you don't need to turn there, but the Apostle Paul says this, I charge you in the presence of God, of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. He says Jesus is the one who judges the living and the dead. I want to share with you another passage in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in chapter 20. There's a passage here. It's at the end of time, the end of all things. The Apostle John is writing. Verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, this is God, Christ, God the Father, they're all judging. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Now, if you read the rest of the book of Revelation, it talks about a book of your, your right deeds and your wrong deeds and all this stuff. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. But if you read the rest of the book of Revelation, I'm not going to take a whole time to go through, but I encourage you again to read this book. You will find that there, this book of life is called elsewhere the Lamb's book of life. And each person who has committed their lives to Christ is following Christ. Their name is written in that book. And the scriptures also say that every man that believes, on, that believes in Christ and uses Abraham as an illustration, the Apostle Paul does, he says, to him was imputed righteousness. That Jesus' righteousness was placed in the place of my sin. So when I am judged, I am not judged based on the good and evil that I do. But as a follower of Christ, I am judged by the righteousness of Christ. And in Him, I am judged worthy to be in the kingdom. But Solomon doesn't say any of that. Solomon doesn't get into that. He leaves it open. He leaves it hanging. He leaves it exposed. For us to make a decision, and again, we sit on the cusp of this, do we operate according to our human wisdom which says, basically, there is a God, okay? People do bad things, okay? God wants us to do good things. So I guess we do more good things than we do bad things. And we're okay. That's human wisdom. The wisdom of Christ, however, says it doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how wonderful you are. Ultimately, that's just based on human wisdom. But rather, we come into a relationship with Christ. We give our lives to Him. We honor Him as our Master, our model, our Savior. And we receive grace. Solomon does not see it. He doesn't put it in the book. I want to end with just a, a brief passage from what the Apostle Paul says. The book of Ephesians in chapter 3. 
the Apostle Paul says this, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant, to you, grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the judgment of God. Now, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All the human wisdom in Ecclesiastes. And he's almost there, but he leaves the door open for us to understand that there must be something about God that is bigger than wisdom, bigger than good and evil, bigger than knowledge, and that thing is the love of Christ. Did Solomon know his name? He didn't know his name. Did Solomon know his need? He did. He knew his own need to follow Christ. Christian, non-Christian alike, I'd ask you to bow your heads with me as we close. Father God, You alone know the hearts of the people gathered here. You alone know whether we are moving toward You or away from You. Whether we are still trying to find a balance of good and evil or we have put our faith in Your Son's righteousness. Lord, I would pray in this moment, in this time, there are those among us that Your Spirit is moving in their heart to lay down their scales of good and evil and to cling to the cross and the faith and love of Christ that they would make that decision take that step that we might celebrate your work in their lives Father, we would also ask for those who call themselves Christians in this room. We are all imperfect. And we all allow our humanity and our, 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 our own desires and our own passions and our own sense of, of right and wrong to sometimes override you and your word and your son. You and your compassion do not condemn us for that. But we ask for your restoration and your wisdom and your direction that we would find everything and everything in Christ. Jesus, I thank you for your cross. I thank you for your love, your grace, your compassion, 
that we are not tied to human wisdom. That we are not tied to our own abilities to get into your presence, but rather you forgive and you send your spirit to lead. We are able to look and see and say, truly, you are God. Father, thank you for your word and its truth and its power in our lives.